Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to begin looking at Genesis chapter 12, and the section we're going to be addressing is verses 1 to 9 although we may or may not get through all of that text in this particular episode. Keep in mind that we started the natural division that we find in the book with the Toledoth statement that occurs in verse 27 of chapter 11. These are the generations of Terah, and we're told that, and we discussed that in the previous episode, uh, why it is that we're looking at Abram's father necessarily, and it's so that we can understand how he arrives there with his nephew and also uh, where his other descendants are because that's going to play in later on. So very, very important. Very lengthy Toledoth as well uh, that, that goes for several chapters, 14 of them. So now after we have introduced Terra, now we're going to focus in, and a lot of this Toledoth is actually going to focus in on Abram specifically, and that's why we tend to think of this uh, as as a narrative about Abram or Abraham as he will become and Sarah, and and we tend to think of it that way. But again, it's more accurate to think of this section, this natural genealogical uh, division here, with regard to his father, because Lot's going to play into this great section, and uh, his son is going to be able to find a wife because of his relatives. So that's going to tie back to Terah as well. But we're going to zero in for many many chapters on Abraham uh, for obvious reasons. And so this section here, verses 1 and 9, really is the call of Abram. Uh, This is where, you know, his life changes as the Lord intervenes in his life. And just as we are uh, getting into the introduction here, it's good to make this connection to the very parallel uh, reality of salvation in the life of a believer. Uh, we are going about our lives, we're doing things, and God is the one that intervenes in our life. Now, we don't just go along in our life and say, okay, I feel like something's missing. I wonder what that is. Oh, it must be God. I think I'm going to go search him out. That's really not the way it works. And I don't, you know, I'm not going to rabbit trail long on this or anything. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of debate, but this really is not the way salvation works. We don't decide that we're going to pursue God, then we go looking for him. It always is God moving toward us. And remember, we have to reconcile this with what we see in the scriptures elsewhere. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. We're at enmity with God, Romans chapter 8. All of these things are true. And there's not a just man on the earth who does good and doesn't sin, Ecclesiastes 7.20. And you look at all the Psalms that talk about the wickedness of man's heart. Uh, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, every single one. We're all sinners. There's no inherent goodness. There's not even a little vestige of it or a little sliver of goodness. It just doesn't reside in mankind. And therefore, it makes absolute logical sense that whenever God is going to do something, if salvation is his work, and we would assert that it is, I believe the Bible asserts that it is, then all of it from the very beginning to end is his work. 
And so we go about our lives, and then God, at the time that he has ordained from eternity past, is going to break into our lives while we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and he is going to begin that process. And for some people, it works quicker. For other people, it's a slower process. For me, uh, from the time that really I, I look back at a period of time, you could say it was my whole life, but there was a very distinct period where I remember, as I look back on it, where God was exposing me to the gospel through faithful preachers and other people, some family members uh, outside of my immediate uh, family. Uh, and you know, we have family members, we have friends in school, we have people at the church who are beginning to faithfully share the gospel with me and declare it. And even at that point, it was two years. I know some people who testify that the process of salvation in their life is much quicker and just shows what a hard head I was and, and God had his plan and his ways. But it was two years from me hearing the gospel to when there was finally an understanding where he opened my eyes to see and he opened my ears to hear and he gave me a heart to believe and a, a mind to believe the gospel and he granted me the faith that produced salvation that's God working in my life. Otherwise, I was just going about my life uh, as most people do. And I think that that's really where we find Abram. He's just living life as most people in the world do without giving it a second thought, trying to make his way, do his thing, and God has to break in. And this is really, it's an incredible parallel because that's what we see. Now, uh, to the text, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So we look first of all at the call itself. Where does this call come from? What is the source of the call? Well, the source of the call is the Lord. Now, if you're following along in the text, you will note this here that the Lord is in all caps, or at least in most, uh, I believe most major English translations, it is in all capital letters. Just a quick sidebar there, that's very important uh, because you, you will see Lord, L-O-R-D, without all caps, and you can even see an address with a capital L, but then a lowercase O-R-D, uh, there's three different variations of that word, and they don't all mean the same thing. When you see all capital L-O-R-D, this is the covenant name of God. This is the tetragrammanon, that uh, unpronounceable name of God. And this is very important because as we see this now sprinkled throughout the rest of the book of Genesis and all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, uh, uh, what we're going to understand from this, every time you see that as you're doing your Bible reading, you need to understand this isn't just a name of God. This is God, and this is how he revealed to himself in a covenant way. This is talking about the legal way that he has bound himself to his people and, and bound them to him. So very, very important here. And when the Hebrew people, when the Israelites would have seen the scripture or they would have heard it read to them, this would not just be a word Lord, like we think of Lord, you know, can mean, you know, have just in terms of master, this would have been the covenant name of God. So very, very important. And keep in mind that 
this is them receiving their history. They're getting a lesson in their origins, how they came to be, and their covenant-keeping God was revealing himself to Abram as a covenant-keeping God. So as he is now opening his mouth and speaking, uh, anthropomorphically speaking, right? We're talking about God opening his mouth. As he communicates with Abram, he is revealing himself in this fashion uh, through the statement. And keep in mind, all of this is coming through d- inspiration. And he's moving Moses to write this down in this way. He is revealing himself to Abram and therefore to the people of Israel who are Abram's, Abraham's descendants as the covenant keeping God. So the source of the call is God who is a covenant keeping God with them. The subject of the call, Abram. Abram is the one who's told to go from his country. Why is Abram the subject of the call? Well, the promise was made to the line of Shem in Genesis 9, 26. Blessed be the Lord. And there, that again, this isn't, by the way, in 12, 1, the first instance of uh, all caps, L-O-R-D, the covenant name, uh, Jehovah or Yahweh, uh, Yahweh. It's, there's, there's nothing sinful about uh, about that, that name. Okay. But, but that occurs back there in, in Genesis nine twenty six, And I'd have to go back and check my notes. I actually don't even think that's the first, uh, instance of that, but there it is the covenant name of God. And so it says, blessed be the Lord, blessed be the covenant God, the God of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So God is selecting one of Shem's descendants to make good on this promise that he is going to be the covenant God of Shem. And it's going to, that, that covenant is going to be established through the line of Terah, but ultimately through, uh, one of his descendants. And that is Abram and it's happening here. And it also shows that again, like we said, God is the one who's doing this. He is the one who's initiating that. And what Israel is going to learn about this is a very important lesson on election. And we can learn a parallel uh, lesson as well that we've already kind of talked about in the introduction. And and this is what they're going to learn. Uh, And Alan Ross puts it this way. Israel would learn by this account that their very existence as a nation was by God's election of one man, who responded by faith. Okay. So the reason that they exist as they are receiving this as a nation now, that's well over a million people wandering in the desert, having escaped the clutches of Pharaoh, not because Pharaoh really wanted to let them go, but because he was forced to, as we get into the events of the Exodus and all that, you remember that, but now they are a multitudinous people well over, like I said, well, I think most conservative people put them at like 1.6 million people when you count the men, women, and children, uh, just huge. It starts with one man right here, Abram. It's incredible. Th- their very existence is predicated on this one man, and and it's not him and his obedience. It's God choosing him and and God granting him the faith Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. So, you know, he has faith, but again, we know that the faith comes from God himself. 
and he responded by faith. And you think about all the various pieces throughout all of this. At any point, I mean, it, it's all miraculous from the very beginning. God has to intervene in his life. We discover that he's a little bit older, and by the time he finally gets to the promised land, they're barren. We're already told that Sarai, his wife in the preceding chapter, is barren. That's 11 verse 30. She has no children. They say it twice to make sure that we totally understand that she is childless. And then we will be made to understand later as the events unfold throughout the book that they're actually both older, well beyond childbearing years. It doesn't say that in chapter 11, that she's well beyond childbearing, uh, but we will get that explicitly stated. And so then we're left wondering from a practical standpoint, you know, God chose him and then God says, no, I'm going to give you an actual descendant from your own loins uh, and it's going to come through Sarah and she's going to laugh at all that and, and all that. We, we know how this all unfolds. <laughs> and wow, it's fascinating because God has to do all of it. God does the initial part, but God has to give them offspring. God has to give that offspring offspring. He's going to have to give Isaac a wife. He's going to have to preserve him, make sure that you know he doesn't intermingle with the enemy uh, and the people that are supposed to be the servants. Now we know that there aren't a lot of people around there that have options. That's why he's going to have to go back and find, you know, Abram's going to send his servant back to find a wife for him, uh, Rebecca. And then eventually they will have offspring and they're going to have Jacob and Esau. We know, you know, Esau, bad things. Okay, get all that. But Jacob, he's going to have to find a spouse. Again, they're not a great family. You know, old folks who are not having a lot of children, there are not a lot of prospects for them to stay pure to what God has commanded them to do. And so when you think about how do they go from Abram and Sarah, 190 uh, respectively, to 1.6 million people, (laughs) It's incredible. And Israel's supposed to make that connection, and so should we, that that their very existence is because God elected this one man, Abram, who responded by faith, and then God preserved him. God provided for him all along the way. God gave them the child of promise, the son of promise, Isaac. And then God preserved Isaac and, and Rebecca and gave them children. And then God preserved his line through their children and so forth. And even when we get to the end of this book, it's still a family. It's a larger family, but it's not a nation. We don't leave the book of Genesis with a nation. We leave the book of Genesis with a robust family. Uh, Jacob is older now, over 140, was 143 or 147 when he dies. I'd have to go look again, uh, but you know, quite a bit older, especially by those standards, as they're uh, now in in that region of of Egypt where they settle during this incredible famine that we find at the end of the book. But they're not a nation. God has to elect Abram. God has to provide for him. God has to preserve him, and then. Uh, all of a sudden they are going to be a nation and God preserves them all throughout that time. And not just from that point from the Exodus, but all that time forward, even through the deportations and the captivities and everything like that, whether it's 722 or 586 BC, the, the two different deportations, the one of the Northern 10 tribes and then of the Southern two, all of that, it all takes place. God preserves his people, Israel. It's just incredible. So we've looked at the source of the call. We've now looked at the subject of the call here, all bound up in verse one of chapter 12. I think we'll leave this episode here 
and we'll come back and look at the content of the call because that is also very rich. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net. Thank you.